You're listening to Remote Possibilities, a podcast on the intersection of technology, society, and education, brought to you by MarketScale. Now here's your host, Kevin Hogan. Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Remote Possibilities, the podcast that explores the promise and the perils of distance learning. I'm your host, Kevin Hogan, and I'm glad you found us. With me today is Jamie Candy, President and Chief Executive Officer for Edmentum, a personalized learning software platform for educators. The company's solutions currently support teachers and students in more than 40,000 schools across the country. Launched 20 years ago, the company's program Study Island is used by over 150,000 educators across the country, and it continues to evolve based on educator feedback and education best practices, especially this summer, obviously. Uh, Jamie herself has been with the company on and off since 2005. Uh, Most recently, Jamie was selected as one of EdTech Digest's top 100 influencers in EdTech, and she was recognized by the Minneapolis St. Paul Business Journal as a 2018 Women in Business honoree. Jamie, thanks so much for uh, meeting with us today. Kevin, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. And as I mentioned before the recording started, that you probably aren't having a a very busy summer, right? A lot of fishing, (laughs) lots lots of time by the lake. Well, you know, the weekends, we are spending some time outside. But as I was saying to you before we got started here, I do feel like the last four months is probably equal to four years in terms of how busy all of us at Edmentum have been in supporting our our district and school partners across the country. I'm sure because, you know, when I think about... uh, any company in the ed tech space that I've covered over the years, um, Edmentum would be the one that would first come to mind. I mean, you all the, the conversations now about blended learning and everyone coming to this idea of uh, you know different dynamics where you're you're working from home as much as working from from school. These these are issues. These are dynamics that Edmentum has been working on since the 60s almost, I believe, right? right? That's, that's right, yes. Yeah. So just a quick history lesson. We'll, we are celebrating our 60th anniversary this year. And so for 60 years, we started as Plato Learning. We were a research project at the University of Illinois. And we have spent the last 60 years researching and understanding the best ways to bring instructional technology into classrooms, both elementary, high school, as well as higher ed. And so we've had a tremendous amount of time to really understand the best use of technology in classrooms, how you fully implement a purely virtual and or a blended hybrid option. So never did we think though in the 60 years that we've been doing this work that we would be faced with the kind of pandemic that would force 100% of our school systems overnight you know, into a, a virtual learning environment. And so this last four months has really tested us in terms of looking at ways to fully support districts who all have various challenges, right? There is, there is no community uh, that is the same as the other. And so as an instructional technology provider, online learning provider, and there's many great organizations in this industry doing this work, we have really been tested uh, to find ways to fully support your districts and your schools and your private schools and charter schools who really are all over the spectrum in terms of their, their readiness, right. uh, as well as the ability to implement online learning programs. Give us your, um, you know, where were you when moment uh, as, a, as the CEO, just to think like, this is something different. This is somewhere else. The um, it, March 13th, it seems for a lot of the educators that I've spoken with, um, seems to be the date where 
the the tides turned, if you forgive the cliche. Is is, is there a, a particular moment in time you can think where you um, kind of sat back in that science fiction horror film yes. and said, whoa? Yes. So we were, so this is a great story and I'll never forget it. Um, we had a pretty busy winter at Edmentum. I was very much looking forward to our family spring break. And so, you know, this is early on, right? So late February, early March, none of us really know what's happening here with COVID. And so my husband and I made a decision. We had a trip planned to Aruba and we went. And uh, on the same day as schools across the country were announcing, you know, full closures, governors were announcing stay-at-home orders, we find out Delta Airlines is going to bring one more plane back to Aruba to pick folks up and borders are closing down. And so literally it is that day. I, I'll never forget it. I'm standing on this you know, really lovely balcony in Aruba. I haven't left my hotel room for two days because this is all starting to play out. Right. So I'm working from there. My family's, you know, enjoying a little bit of beach time while I'm up working. And I remember standing on the balcony and I, we get notified by Delta, like within an hour, right? This is all happening. And I'm, and I'm in Aruba, you know, very, very far from Minnesota where our home base is. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, this is real. And, you know, it, it's kind of a, a whirlwind since then. I, I don't quite, there was just minutes and hours, you know, that all kind of strung together after that as we went into overdrive and planning and the cycles that we've gone through uh, in supporting our school partners have just, it's been incredible. Every 30 days, it is a very, very different cycle that we're in. So that was my moment. I was in beautiful, beautiful Haruba, which I would highly recommend if you ever have a chance to go there. And our goal now is when this is all over and hopefully we can start traveling again as a society, we're going to get back down to Aruba and, and enjoy that place again. Absolutely. I have a few of those in my pocket as well. <laughs> it's like, we're going to do this as soon as this is all, this is all over. Yes. Yep. So yep. when you look at the, um, I, I mentioned the number of schools, 40,000 um, and 150,000 teachers, and I'm sure it's, it's grown over the past four months. Um, you see um, kind of the entire spectrum of people's uh, and districts' adoption and adaptations over these past uh, four months. A lot of the focus has been on the failures, um, which there are, obviously, uh, and we can talk about digital equity a little bit later. Um, but there have been some successes as well. And I would assume that you probably have some premier districts and schools that maybe didn't experience um, technical blips, if not, you know, anxiety blips, but just in terms of actually making a, a transition to this. Can you talk to, to, to any of those examples? Absolutely. So right at this moment, we've, we have north of 5 million students in the United States registered for one of our products and close to 2 million teachers. So that kind of shows you the magnitude of, and it's growing right day by day as, as schools are rostering. What I will tell you, the hands down, the most important thing we saw, the key metric in the spring as schools shut down, those schools districts, private schools, charter management organizations that had previously invested in finding ways to offer hybrid learning options, right? So not necessarily planning for a global pandemic, but had taken it upon their own instructional strategies to say, you know what, we're going to figure out creative ways, whether it was starting with one-to-one uh, or offering a fully virtual option in their high school, as an example. And this is, this is a small percentage of schools across the country, but hands down, the schools that had previously planned for and offered those kinds of options uh, within their school system to families 
did very, very well during the shutdown. And I will tell you, it, it wasn't because they already had technology. It, that's a part of it is already using technology. But what I can tell you about the process that schools go through when they implement those kinds of models is there's a tremendous amount of teacher professional development and professional learning communities over time that learn how to perfect teaching online, right? Whether it's fully virtual or you're using some kind of flipped classroom, it takes time, like with anything that we learn to do, to perfect the models. So if you hadn't been practicing prior, flipping the switch and, and moving your kiddos online and likely leveraging your SIS and running around trying to find all sorts of resources that you can put on that SIS, that is a recipe for absolute chaos, which is what many of our schools and families experienced. But then we, we had our schools, like I said, that had been offering different kinds of flipped classroom virtual learning uh, opportunities over the years who had perfected their craft, and they've done very, very well. Uh, and, and I will tell you, those are the school systems that are also far, far ahead right now in terms of planning for fall. Uh, yeah, I, I had a recent conversation. It seemed that some districts already had um, a lot of telepresence for special education uh, aspects, and they seem that they've now adopted a lot of those techniques to move over, which I thought was interesting. Yes. Absolutely. And what you see is a lot of innovation. Uh, over the years at Mentum, we have done a lot of work uh, with students who are in intervention programs, uh, students with special needs, learning differences. And a lot of times because those students are pulled out, so to speak, or are put into specialized programs or have specialists assigned to them, a lot of times that's where you'll see the first entry point for instructional technology or education technology tools that support that kind of learning process. And so that speaks to, you know, special education programs having, you know, some existing technology use and educators understanding how to use technology tools to differentiate instruction. Many, many cases where you have uh, school systems that are serving students with many different learning differences, you will actually see a lot more innovation on those schools and they've been able to weather this transition a little bit more effectively. Another um, realization for me as, as someone who's just kind of covered the industry uh, for a number of years, uh, for the past four months, all of a sudden parents have become part of the equation, which when, you, when I look back, I think, well, that's weird. They should have been part of the equation all along. And, and as a parent, I kind of thought to myself like, wow, yeah, all, all these decisions are going on without me being part of the conversation. And I'm kind of in ed tech. What's going on here? Uh, Talk about the, the, the dynamic that uh, if it has changed, and maybe you're uh, involved with parents all along, but um, if not, I mean, what are those changes and how has that changed your company's mission? We have seen a tremendous rise in parent voice and parent involvement, unlike anything I've ever seen in the you know almost 20 years that I've been doing this work. And so there's a couple things that are happening. One, one of them I worry quite a bit about, and I'll get to that in just a minute in terms of equity uh, and just you know, how you support communities. But the, when you, what happened, especially for parents who have younger children. So if you had a middle school, high schooler, and I have two elementary kids um, who you know, went to remote learning very early on in March when our governor issued our stay-at-home orders. If you are a parent of a middle school, high schooler, there, there is a student agency that typically exists, not always, but the ability to navigate the technology, find your online courses, get your work done, it's less of a burden on parents. If you, are a if you are a parent of a younger student, like I am, I had last year a fourth grader and a first grader, uh, it was a tremendous burden. And what happened, because so many schools were not prepared to switch over to direct synchronous virtual instruction, is that the parent became the teacher. 
And when that happened, you saw the rise of the parent voice, like, like any, nothing that I have ever seen in my career. And so what we actually had to do here is make a pretty significant pivot in our summer and our fall roadmap, our product roadmap, uh, in that we have always, you know, provided parent reporting and different communication tools for teachers to use. But our focus, like many ed tech companies, unless you're direct to consumer, is that you funnel those capabilities through your teachers, your administrators, uh, your schools. Uh, versus direct to parent. And what we're seeing now is a very strong demand from our schools, from our customers saying, you need to do more to provide information to the parents because we can't keep up, it's overwhelming. And so we've had to pivot and think through a parent portal and you know, just more tools and tips and tricks and webinars. And in the event that parents have to be more involved in the day and you know, day out learning of their child, how do we help them understand how to do that? And so we've had, we had to do a lot of scenario planning, really quick user, research to understand the best ways to do this. And then my teams have just been running uh, these last few months to really pivot and focus more on the tools that we can provide direct to parents. So that's been a big shift for us. I'll tell you what I'm most concerned about is if you read right now, you know, there's articles coming out everywhere about this parent potting. If, you, yes. if you're hearing about the pods, yeah. you know, it, it's, it's a situation. I understand it. We have a lot of families very, very concerned about the health of their children and the health of our teachers in terms of putting kids physically back in school. And so I understand the need for pods, you know, and so what's happening is you're seeing families all over the country pull their students out of public education, enroll them in a private school or an online charter school, and then create parent pods, which essentially is a rotation of parents that are providing the childcare for younger learners while they go to school online, right? So it essentially removes the, the burden on parents. And I'll tell you, I'm seeing that all over the country. Uh, and as we're talking to our school partners, a lot of concern about, you know, losing public funding to, to run their schools because of this phenomenon. And all that's going to do, and so this is really the call to action for all of us to figure out how to make this work in public education, is what's going to happen is the more funding you pull away, you know, from the school system and direct it to other places, the fewer resources that our uh, students who really need those resources are going to have. And so this is something we're watching very closely. And our goal at Inventum, we have a prime directive that we call educator first, which is ed tech is just ed tech. The real, you know, the hero in the classroom is the teacher. We are a tool and toolkit. We have to be a really good tool. But now as we look at what's happening here with concerns around going back to school, we are spending a tremendous amount of time, professional development, webinars, support systems, planning guides, helping our school partners figure out how to create a really strong, equitable, you know, hybrid online option so that they can keep their families in the school system and help their families feel like it's a safe, you know, process to be part of this, this option. So uh, this is an evolving issue, but, you know, something we're watching closely. Yeah, well, I mentioned the, the equity issue uh, before, and it's, um, you know, it's obviously a huge obstacle. Uh, speaking again with, with directors of technology, even in um, what you would consider affluent districts, uh, most of them spent the first two weeks um, of the pandemic driving and dropping off, you know, um, hotspots and devices to students in, in their district just to, so they could have access. And teachers, teachers who didn't have uh, access to, to those sort of things. So you really can't use your technology unless you have access to the Internet, right? That's right. 
Yep. We do have um, offline materials available. That's another thing that we did this summer is really focused on for, you know, whether it's a rural community uh, or it is a urban center with lack of, you know, access um, to connectivity devices uh, and whatnot. We focused on taking core materials out of our various products that are used on a regular basis, especially for younger learners. And we have created printable options. And now we're also partnering with several print-based companies. So Edmentum has always been almost purely digital, and that has been another part of our strategy that we have pivoted because we believe that the only way we're going to really be able to give access in the way that students need it across the country is to have both a print as well as a digital option, particularly in those younger grade levels as well where it's even hard. You know, older kids typically um, from an equity issue have access to a phone and our products work well, you know, for middle school, high schoolers if they want to use one of their mobile devices. That's not the case for younger learners. And so we've really put a concerted effort together around how do we balance the offering. So if there is print uh, that, that a student can take advantage of, that we are getting that to the family. So that's been another thing that we focused on. To go back to the pods for a second. So um, will you, are you going to provide services for those or those things that, you, that you're concerned will disrupt um, the, the current practice? So we currently do not offer, we, we do have, so there's a, there's a version of Study Island um, for home. And so we have a couple of our products. We have a very large portfolio. We have one of the largest digital curriculum libraries for K through 12 in the market. And we have many different products that serve various needs. Some of our products are designed to be used uh, as supplemental homework help practice in the home environment. And those we sell, you know, on a consumer basis, as we always have. In terms of what we're seeing in terms of like a full curriculum used um, by a, you know, community uh, or a group of families where, you know, they're going to be doing full homeschool. Um, we have a, a, a service called Adoptions Academy. Adoptions Academy is a fully accredited private school, online school. It has um, been providing instructional services for uh, over two decades. And our primary focus in our virtual school is to build capacity and essentially be a white label to districts and charter management organizations that are seeking to offer a virtual program. So right now, when you look you know, in the newspaper, you hear across social media channels, all these different districts that are starting a cyber academy or their own virtual program, in many cases, we are behind that. So we provide, um, we can hire the district's teachers or the charter management's teachers, or we can hire our own. And we provide all of the curriculum, the instructional services, special education services, guidance counseling. And why we do that is it allows the public institution or the charter management organization to leverage our expertise, which is high quality online instruction, you know, direct instruction, but it allows them to offer it through their district and keep their students enrolled with that particular school. So that has been our focus. Um, we have thousands of schools right now that we're supporting uh, with this virtual program that they're offering for, for fall, uh, for at least first semester to see how things go with COVID. Uh, one other aspect um, to the chaos that hasn't uh, been solved yet is the issues surrounding assessment, uh, both in the standardized testing uh, of children, uh, in both from state standards and, and SATs and ACTs, but also to just the social emotional aspect of you know advancing to the next grade or, or having grades at, at all. Um, from your perspective, uh, should those things be adjusted for the upcoming school year? Our belief is yes. 
so I think, you know, as we've done our research, uh, and NWA just put out uh, some very strong learning loss research around mathematics, uh, and there's many other organizations, including Inmentum, that are doing a lot of work in this area, I'd say two things. One is today the Department of Education announced that they will not offer waivers um, for state testing in the coming year. You know, whether or not that, that stands to be true, uh, I think part of it may be, you know, the push to try to get kids physically back in school. And, and so, you know, the argument that accountability will still be there is, is one that is being used right now. What we believe is, first and foremost, diagnostic testing as you start school, no matter what shape or form it takes, you know, whether you're trying to do physical classrooms, fully virtual, hybrid, you know, block scheduling, there's a lot of different models that exist. You, you, the most important thing as we think about COVID learning loss from last spring and over the summer is understanding where are our kids at as they start this next grade level. And the way that you do that, and we, you know, we and others uh, provide adaptive diagnostic assessment that is short, you know, short cycle assessments in nature. They are designed to pinpoint very targeted you know, skill needs and deficiencies from the previous academic year and provide the teacher and the parent with information about where their student is at and what they need to really get a good jump start for the year. So that is number one, what we recommend. Second is to your point around SEL, you know, there's a lot of anxiety uh, that exists right now uh, in our world. And, you know, let's not be foolish and think that little kids and, and our students aren't also feeling those anxieties. They absolutely are. We believe it at Mentum in a whole child pedagogical framework. And what that means is you incorporate, you know, the KSL SEL curriculum into your academic standards. And so you're trying to support social emotional well-being at the same time that you're teaching, you know, a student fractions as an example. And so part of the process that we go through is making sure that we have SEL curriculum and supports for teachers woven into the core instruction. Um, we partner with a wonderful organization called BASE Education, who I think is probably one of the best social emotional learning researchers and providers of instruction in the market. And so BASE has done a good job partnering with us around how we identify and address what is going to be needed in this coming year. And we've got some very targeted efforts around how to support teachers and, and supporting their students. And then lastly, you know, accountability is always, we are going to have to deal with accountability. And so as we think about whether or not it'll be spring, you know, high stakes testing or something other, what I would say is it's important for us to understand where kids are at. And it's important for us to understand if our schools are making progress. I also think it would be unfair to hold teachers overly accountable uh, in this chaos, right? So thinking through teacher evaluation. Uh, and what, what I think this gives us an opportunity to do, and I used to run a high stakes testing company, so this is something that's near and dear to my heart, um, is let's use a little bit of grace and let's work together as an education community to figure out how do we measure if students are progressing, if there is growth from last, you know, from last spring to this coming spring, we need to measure growth. We need to understand where our kids are at and we need to support them. We also need to support our educators and we have to use other measures as part of our accountability system, school climate, family communication and surveys, right? There's other ways to measure the overall growth of a student and the performance of our schools than just one specific test. So I would really encourage us as a community and as policymakers that we find ways to step back and say, how do we be creative? Not lose sight of accountability, but let's be creative in how we judge what is growth, you know, over this 12 month period. Yeah, it's just, I mean, that's the sticky wicket when it comes to the United States. I think that we're finding out, like, along with a lot of other things, um, you know, 15,000 school districts, right? And, and different school dynamics within those districts make this tough. I always, I would always shudder a little bit when someone would make a comparison 
uh, Finland to the United States, right, when it comes to education standards. And here we are in, in the same way that you, you talk about the education community, that there are, I mean, it's really the district community, right? And or even when you're talking about private schools, it's that private schools community and how do we find a consistency there. I keep talking about maybe learning maintenance as opposed to learning growth and just to kind of keep people together and interested about doing things while we're in this group timeout and then maybe start growing this time next year, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. That's, you know, that is a big concern is the, especially for younger learners, the amount of learning loss, th- those spring months where we were shut down, um, there, there were no real new concepts introduced. It was all review. It's pretty significant. The second semester in terms of growth that a child typically experiences far exceeds, you know, growth in the, in the first semester or the first two trimesters if you're on a trimester schedule. So now as we approach fall and you think, my goodness, if we have another, you know, full 12 months of this, I agree with you learning maintenance and figuring out how do we set a good baseline and know where we're at and then put together some really creative strategies to help kids catch up if, in fact, we're going to need those kinds of interventions interventions as we move forward. Well, I, I knew that the, the toughest part of this conversation was going to be able to, to uh, stop it. But I one, one more question. Um, we, were, we were also talking a little bit earlier about the innovations that may come out of this uh, catastrophe. Um, talk about a few of the ones that Edmentum has discovered uh, in the last four months. So number one, you know, we, and you can think about this, if you, if you use sort of an analogy to everything else in life, right? So many of us, like me, I was on planes every week. We have offices all over the country, uh, the world. We shut all those down, right? And we have found a way to be highly effective in a distributed work environment. Um, I've found a way to be highly effective and not step foot on a plane in four, over four months. And so now as you, you, you compare that to the experience that our educators have gone through. And the large majority of educators did not use instructional technology or education technology on a daily basis in the classrooms. They just didn't. And now 100% of them have been forced to do that. Will we go all the way back to the way it used to be? No. Will all of these educators you know, use education technology as a primary source of their instruction forever and ever? No. But something in between is going to happen. And why we get so excited about that at Inventum is because the real power of education technology when implemented effectively is that you truly can build school around every student. Differentiated instruction, personalized learning is very real and it is very powerful. And we are going to have a much larger percentage of teachers in this country that whether they wanted to or not, from last spring and through this academic year, they're going to see nuggets of that and they're gonna realize the real power and potential of leveraging these tools on a more consistent basis to reach all of their students, right? To get away from teaching to the middle. And that is, while it isn't something that didn't exist prior, it is really significant in terms of changing the landscape outcomes and potential of our education system in this country. And so we're pretty excited about that. There's a lot of challenges we have because it has been such a bumpy road to implement. But when you get through all of that and teachers step back and reflect, like I am, you know, with my company saying, do we really need all this real estate when my, our team is really happy working from home? It's the same thing that teachers are going to go through. And so I think that's a pretty important innovation is educators realizing there are tools that will help them be more powerful in the classroom, where as a teacher, and I, I started my career as a teacher, and I would go home, right, and I would feel like I didn't reach all the kids I wanted to reach that day. Imagine when you start going home after you've learned to use these tools a little bit more effectively 
and there will be days where you do feel like you reached 100% of the kids in your classroom. All 30 kids got what they needed that day. And I think for education, that's real innovation. I agree 100%. And you, you have to uh, convince the unions of that, though, right? That the teacher's going to go home and, and continue to work and, and, and talk to students. But my argument has always been that the technologies, the teachers want that technology because it makes it more efficient when they go into the classroom. Yes. And they want the support to learn how to use it effectively, right? And we've always had an issue in this country around the amount of time teachers get to really hone in on their craft, to get the kind of support and professional development that they need. And so those are some things we're obviously going to have to work through. You know, we have had, we've been brought into a few conversations um, with, with labor unions over the last few months, and we've, we've done some, you know, discussions and webinars and real intimate conversations. And I'll tell you, there, there are many unions, there are many groups right now in this country that understand the opportunity and the support that can be provided to their constituents through all of this. And so I think that we're going to see not, you know, 100% collaboration, but I do think that we will see progress there. Well, that's great. And uh, Jamie, you know, part of the reason for these broadcasts is my own uh, personal therapy session, trying to <laughs> feel better about all these things. Uh, Me too. <laughs> but, and you certainly provided that today. There are a, lot, a lot of really good uh, insights to what uh, you and your company are doing, and I, I appreciate it. Uh, for the sake of my kids and for, for everybody's kids. So, so thank you for your time. Thank you. And uh, I'd like to thank the listeners for uh, following along with Remote Possibilities. And please make sure uh, to click on further episodes. Thanks and goodbye.